Welcome to How to Market a University, a special podcast series featuring vignettes of Dr. Teresa Flannery's book, How to Market a University. Terry Flannery has spent her entire career in higher education. She was the first marketing director and chief marketing officer at the University of Maryland, the first vice president of communications at American University, and most recently, the interim vice president for marketing and communication at Stony Brook University. At a time of declining public support, a shrinking pipeline of traditional college-bound students, and a steady rise in tuition and discount rates, higher education leaders have never been under more pressure. How can they ensure steady or growing enrollments while cultivating greater philanthropic support, increasing research funding, and diversifying revenue streams? In How to Market a University, Terry argues that institutions can meet all of these goals by implementing strategic, integrated marketing in ways that are consistent with academic culture and university values. Enrollify and Terry have joined forces to produce Enrollify's first ever master course that mirrors the robust learnings and deep insights packed into Terry's book. Over the next eight weeks, this special podcast series will give you a taste of what you can expect in the master course. But that's it, just a taste. To unpack all of the language, the frameworks, the tools, and the tactics that CMOs or aspiring CMOs will need to learn to lead the work of marketing in higher education, we invite you to register for the master course on how to market a university at enrollify.org forward slash master course. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash master course. This master course features guest experts like Seth O'Dell, Jenny Petty, Jamie Hunt, Ethan Braden, Michael Stoner, Angela Pollock, Binti Harvey, Bob Johnson, and many more. It's also filled with downloadable templates and worksheets to help you retain the course material. And last but certainly not least, this course was made possible by the leading agencies in higher education marketing who all came together to support this effort. We want to thank Simpson Scarborough, MindPower, DD Agency, and Ology for their incredible guidance and partnership. To learn more about how these firms have helped colleges and universities of all shapes and sizes realize their branding, marketing, enrollment, and advancement goals, hop on over to their respective websites in the show notes below. All right, without further ado, welcome to the How to Market a University podcast series. So Terry, I want to hear the story behind the very first time that you remember being marketed to where were you what was the brand or what was the product like when was the very first time that you remember somebody might be trying to sell you something (laughs) well first thing to disclose is that I'm a late baby boomer I'm at the tail end of that generation and so I was in the perfect target audience for the gap which sold jeans for everybody They had a wall of jeans in every store that they went into that were different lengths, different body types. You could buy men's, women's jeans, whatever. And the pitch was fall into the gap, look Mm. good for less. They were always inexpensive jeans and the largest selection of Levi's. Ooh, (laughs) that was a big deal. I think that they had just stopped calling them dungarees and they were now jeans. Dungarees? Dungarees. That's what they were called. Blue jeans were (laughs) dungarees. Dungarees. And, And the brand was only Levi's at the time, but that was ideal because you could go back to school shopping. I was from a family that wasn't very well to do. And you get several pairs of jeans that fit you really well inexpensively. Wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> Fall into the gap. Fall into the gap. You remember the slogan. That's Fall great. Fall into the gap. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive. And do, do you remember, like, uh, do you have a, an affinity for, for gap to this day? Like, were, did, was that 
uh, affinity that you developed for the brand all the way back then did that carry its way through or at some point did you decide did you grow you know just not necessarily you know distaste for the brand but like did you did, did its marketing wear off on you it it initially didn't it lasted for a long time and even lasted into shopping for next generation excuse me it even lasted into the next generation so i'd go to baby gap for clothes for my kids wow. but at, at some point they shifted pretty dramatically in their business model and they started having their clothes manufactured really cheaply yeah. and they got way away from just selection of jeans into other stuff so huh. they when they left their core I probably didn't stick with them. Okay, well, note to anyone who might be working for Gap listening here, it might be time to revisit your uh, value proposition, rethink that those those items you have in stock. So Terry, I wanna talk a little bit more about your, your history. So you studied English in school at, at University of Maryland College Park, but you've spent your professional career working in higher ed marketing communications. What What was it about marketing that that initially sucked you in? Do you remember the a moment or a story or experience where you really fell in love with, with the discipline of marketing? Yeah, well, I have to start by correcting you slightly because oh, please. I fell in love with higher education first. Higher education first, okay. And that's what eventually to marketing. So I started out as an orientation advisor as an undergraduate when I realized that I could make a career of working in higher education, which was terrific. And I started out in student affairs and my mentor, who was the director of orientation, moved over to admissions. Huh. And she deliberately tried to recruit me. I'd gone away to work at another institution to come back to Maryland and just try admissions. I think you might like it, she'd tell me. She had a whole airplane on a way to a conference that we, a bunch of people were um, flying together down to the conference and they were lined up down the aisle prepared to recruit me to come back to University of Maryland to work in admissions. She even said, if you don't like it, you can always go back to student affairs, huh. uh, but I think you should try it. And I fell in love with it. And while I was there pretty early on, I realized there was this thing called marketing that was starting to take hold in some areas of admissions offices that was going to provide huge opportunity. And while Many of the tools um, that we have now didn't exist then. The process appealed, the structure of it appealed, and there were really three parts of it that I loved. And this is the part about how marketing got got hold of me. It had a combination of analytical thinking, mm. creativity, and strategy. And those three things together are so hard to find anywhere, but I am at my root a creative person, and I also love data, data, data um, to drive decisions about strategy. So those things together are what kind of caught my interest and have kept it ever since. So what was it, just to circle back briefly here, what was it about higher education that first appealed to you? Like you could have, you studied English, you could have, you know, done a number of things you could have taught, like, yeah. You know, what What was it about higher education as as an industry that, that really stood out? Yeah, well, it was obviously transformative in my own. We came from a family that wasn't very well off. My dad had gone to college co-oping through Northeastern University oh, wow. to get through, but otherwise is not in the experience of my family. So I was the first girl of my generation among the Flannerys to go to college. And that power, that transformative power, and the difference it can make in your life and your future is compelling. When I realized that I could help make that be the case for so many others, student development theory was at the heart of the program that I studied. My master's and my PhD are both in college student personnel administration. And being able to deliberately design environments where that kind of transformative development is going to 
create a different kind of life mm. for uh, a student that comes to college is just um, the hook. It's always been the hook. Yeah, yeah. So well said. So when you finally do accept your your mentor's urgings <laughs> to try admissions out, what what does marketing mean at that moment in in higher education? Like, was this was it mostly focused on when people heard the term marketing? Like, were they thinking brochures? Were they thinking billboards? Mm. Like, what what did marketing mean back then? Yeah, back then it was very strictly focused on promotion. Of course, it wasn't, but that's how it was understood in higher education, and that's how I came to it at first. But it at least I at least understood initially that you could target specific segments that were a better match for your institution and that if we could zero in on those audiences we'd have better outcomes in Hmm. terms of what we were trying to do so all of our outreach and all of the promotional aspects of the admissions office were the thing that came under the purview of me as a marketing person an assistant director for marketing in the admissions office that's where I first understood it and at what point do you begin to realize huh this is a this is my thing. Like <laughs> the, the, this is scratching an itch that I didn't even realize yeah. I, I had. At what time does it become not just a, a discipline that you're interested in, but like a whoa, this this might be a calling. This might be this might be a vocation for mm-hmm. me. I have a confession to make that I went to an airport uh, hotel presentation that was hosted by Staymates Communications, and the guy who was doing the presentation was Bob Severe who'd written a couple of sort of workbook, textbook things in about marketing for higher education. And he was working for a company that used to be primarily a print company. And he had brought his PhD and his knowledge of market research to the company to help them develop strategy Hmm. that would then create a demand for print materials collateral that aligned with brand strategy. So he was out there doing business development in the same way that you do, Zach, (laughs) um, for his company. He was teaching people in higher ed the basics of marketing. And I realized like the whole world opened up to me. I realized that this was much bigger than this one piece and how core it could be to the future of an institution. And I came back from that meeting with my little notebook (laughs) and ran into my boss who was the admissions director. And I said, we've got to do this. I was just so passionate about it. And I have a friend who still teases me about being an evangelist for marketing and higher education. I have always believed that it had the power to really help us do what we do well as institutions Hmm. to be more effective. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that and you you tell that story because we've spent we've spent uh, the last several months getting to know each other terry and as we've prepped and and put this course together one of the things that i've spent a lot of my time doing is is traveling around talking with folks who are referenced in your book people that you call your your book whispers and and then some and what's funny is everyone i meet either virtually whether it's over twitter whether it's over linkedin whether it's in person you know, has nothing but just incredible things to say about Terry Flannery. And I I don't even know that I I realized what I was getting into when we first uh, started (laughs) talking. But you, you know, you're really sort of seen as this, not just an influencer in higher education marketing, but really sort of, you know, one of one of the people that has transformed it from its early age. And, you know, you you don't consider yourself one of the the founders of of higher ed marketing. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that in, in a bit. But you know, you've really helped sort of accelerate it and helped it grow as a profession. I know that many 
younger higher ed marketers look up to you as the person or, or one of the people that have really helped them fall in love with this space. And so, you know, when, when you talk to university leaders, when a university leader asks you, what is marketing and, and what, how do we do marketing in, in the context of higher education over the course of, of your career, you know, you've learned a lot. So, so how do you answer that question today? And, you know, I, I'm curious in the way that you answered that question today, is it at all different than how you would have answered it 10, 20 years ago? And if so, how is it different? Yeah, I think I have a more concise understanding of what it is. And when, I, and when I'm asked that question these days by higher ed leaders, I have a very simple answer, which is marketing is a strategic function that builds value for the institution, both revenue and reputation. Hmm. It's a process you can use to meet all of your institutional goals. And that grabs leaders right by the collar <laughs> and you have their attention. Sometimes I'll say it's not what you think it is because it's so misunderstood and has been for a long time in higher education. It's getting better. There's evidence of a lot of presidents and leaders who now understand and believe that marketing is a broader process than just that aspect of, and it's come a long way in my time hmm. there. You know, I, I think I've told you the story before about how the first president to think about establishing this role at University of Maryland, that the job was to coordinate the messages of the deans mm. and so really what he was talking about was integrating or, or collaborating on what the messages would be but without any understanding that it should be rooted in research and finding a differentiated position and then using that strategy to create a set of messages that we would all coordinate on didn't understand the back end of that at all one of the reasons that i really love philip kotler's definition of nonprofit marketing is it has at the root of it this one piece about marketing being a voluntary and satisfying exchange of value. Hmm. And that fits so well in higher ed and kind of blows up the myths for anyone thinks that marketing is spin or trickery, that it's not authentic, that we're trying to manipulate people. No, it's actually about finding a really good fit between someone who's looking for what we have to offer and us providing something we have to offer to an audience for whom it's really designed and meant to be. So that's, yeah, enter into that exchange of value, tuition for an experience and a degree. We can go through all the exchanges, but those exchanges have to be entered into voluntarily and they have to be satisfying or they're not replicated. And you end up walking away if you haven't met someone's expectations for delivering on the brand promise you've made. You end up them walking away and saying bad things about you, which is the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> so you design the experience to meet the need for a particular audience where it's absolutely satisfying and then you keep working to deliver it. It, it seems to me, too, that hired marketing and really sort of the, the importance of marketing has increased in, in awareness and not just in, in terms of like perceived value, but also just you, you've talked about this. Uh, you talk about this a lot in the course and others have talked about it, too. Just, you know, we are seeing marketing more and more get a seat at the leadership table for, for many colleges and universities. We're seeing leaders understand the importance of having a, a VP of marketing, having somebody who's who's playing, you know, the, the role of CMO. And, you know, that 20, 30 years ago, that that wasn't as common as it is as it is today. Just any any quick thoughts you have on on why we're seeing a, a greater attention paid, maybe maybe even a good word here is a greater respect paid to to the role that marketing plays within the context of an institution. Yeah, I think the circumstances demand 
attention to mm. all kinds of things that leaders wouldn't have been open to when things were easier. You know, when you're resting on a good reputation and, a, and the demand is there for students, for alumni to be engaged, for donors, when it's not as hard, you're not forced to try things that you otherwise wouldn't be mm. disposed to, to do. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. Talk, basic question asked a little bit more simply is, why do you think marketing has grown in importance and and yeah. Uh, in respect in the industry. Well, I do think it, it, the role has more respect and that's demonstrated about three quarters of CMOs in the latest CMO study done by Simpson Scarborough are reporting to their president or chancellor and 60% of them hold the title of vice president. So there's real recognition that there's a leadership role for this function. And I think it's, it goes right back to understanding that it can be used to meet the institution's most important strategic goals, you know, that it, it give a boost to everything you're trying to do in terms of enrollment or advancement, for example, those are the two key functions where we get pulled in most of the time and that you can build reputation that'll have all kinds of effects on your most important institutional goals. So that recognition is there and it's rooted in a better understanding of the purpose of marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said, you know, at the, at the start of this too, which is just that, you know, there was there was a, there was a time when this wasn't as dire, right? When when demand was there, when the value of higher education was wasn't in question in in the way that in in many contexts it is now. And so, it does seem only natural then that marketing gets a little bit more love and a little bit more respect when folks wake up one day and realize if 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 we're not in control of our story, if we're not telling our story effectively, if we're not meeting the demand of our markets. We're, we're in trouble. You know, there's, uh, th there might be an end to this road a little bit sooner than any of us want. And therefore, I think the, the, the smartest folks in the industry today are, are thinking critically about how do we control our message? What does it look like to integrate our message, which I know that you're really big on and we'll talk more about later. The, the, the role of senior marketing leadership has never been more important in our industry than it is right now. Yeah, I think that is absolutely true. I think that the demographic cliff that everyone is um, so aware of, you know, the second half of this decade, the impact of the pandemic, all the acceleration of forces that were in place before that happened and how it's affected all of us. I think there's something like 60 institutions in the last couple of years that have either closed or consolidated. And there's expectation that there'll be more of that. So there's a literally a survival instinct that's making people pick up this set of tools yeah yeah well anyone that has taken a marketing entry-level course at a college or university or even just like watched the show mad men or a more contemporary example like emily in paris has probably heard of like the four p's right you've got product place price and promotion and you know these sort of make up the the marketing mix and i'm curious just any quick thoughts you have on what is unique about this marketing mix within within higher education? Well, one of the sad things about <laughs> what's unique is that we often, because we misunderstand the purpose of marketing, we limit it only to the promotional P. Mm. We skip all the other P's and you got to <laughs> eat your other P's. <laughs> um, we have to be welcomed into the other parts of the marketing mix. And increasingly, we are. CMOs and their teams are getting more into informing questions about pricing or estimating market demand for 
a, a new program that is being considered or doing a competitor audit to understand what else is in the marketplace or thinking about the ways in which we best offer programs and services. I think one of the examples we were talking about last week, Zach, was the decision about what things should remain virtual Mm. coming out of the pandemic, even though we have the opportunity to be back in person. And here's a great place example, marketing mix place example of appointments for mental health services and student advising. Both have seen huge increases in participation, drops in cancellation and wait lists shrinking for mental health because when they're offered virtually, it takes away that obstacle of, oh, I got to get to X place by a certain time and to do this, uh, I'll just blow it off or I'll reschedule or I'll cancel. And so those seem like things that the offering of the service through a different means of access actually increases the outcomes and improves the outcomes for both the university and the the students. So that's a good example of a place consideration in the mix. Yeah. And I love what you said too, just about the fact that we, we sort of default to promotion and like really sort of like promotions like the last the last piece right it's the it's that last step you got to do the work of defining the product considering the place right considering the price that is that is the like you know fundamental important work that you have to do before you can go out and tell people hey this is who we are this is what we do and this is how you can engage with us and i do think that there's this temptation and i think that this exists outside of higher ed too to just focus on the get us more students, get us more alumni giving. Like the, uh, why aren't there billboards out there? Like where are the TV spots, right? Like where, where are the video ads? And it's like, if if marketing hasn't been included in these, these precursor steps that are incredibly important, it's, it's really sort of like a waste or it can be a waste, right? It's almost like, you know, folks talk a lot about how it's incredibly important to think through the entire user experience before you launch the landing page, right? Or before you launch that ad, because if you just launch the pretty ad and send people to a you know landing page, but then the landing page isn't optimized well, there aren't clear instructions, there isn't a form to capture user information, then people bounce, right? And it, it, it's not necessarily an issue with the ad creative, it could just be an issue with the landing page itself. And so I think it's what you're saying, which I just want to want to affirm here is it's incredibly important to include marketing in the entire step um, of, or excuse me, the entire process and not just that final step. So I, I, I think that that's a, a good, just word of encouragement for anyone listening is find ways to insert yourself into that conversation, even if it's not, even if you haven't been explicitly invited into it. That's right. And I found people have asked me, how do you get into that if you're not invited into the other aspects of the party? And my answer is always bring the data. Hmm. Usually we are in positions where we can see more across the institution. We have some of the widest views of the experience for students, alumni, and others, other stakeholders. So bring the data that you have into a conversation about what a decision point is and let that inform the decision and people will start to think about your role differently and think about you differently. Yeah. And just a last plug on this point too, we have more data than we've ever had before and the systems and tools that we have or that we should have at our at our disposal are incredibly sophisticated and this this wasn't present 10 years ago, right? In in many schools not even 5 6 years ago, right? So, but now we've got these tools, we've got this data, it's easier to access these insights and hopefully that acts as a little bit more of a, a motivator for for trying to get you into into the conversation. Absolutely. Just it's empowering to have information and business intelligence. And when you bring that into the conversations, people aren't making decisions sort of blind or based on instinct. They're based on 
actual records of experience that are going to inform that thinking. Yeah, and sometimes it, it can be challenging because the the billboard that the president wanted might have not converted at the rate that we had hoped. And and yet at the same time, I think like that's that's one of the most incredible conversations that can then happen is like, hey, you know, you want this, you know, leadership wants that. And, and we can spend in this area, but from an ROI standpoint, just, just so we're all clear, from an enrollment ROI standpoint, for instance, like this this isn't doing much for us. And I think that it's it's really exciting when leaders can have productive conversations where they're all looking at the same numbers. And I think that that, again, wasn't something that could happen a decade ago, but it's absolutely something that can and should be happening today. I think we just made you the agent for all higher education CMOs. <laughs> uh, well, I, I want to talk about unique value propositions because one of the things that happens throughout, I think this is true outside of higher ed for sure, but but especially in our industries, for some reason, it's it's difficult for us to communicate effectively what makes us unique and distinct as institutions. And so I just, I just love your thoughts, Terry, on why is it that schools tend to really struggle to, to nail their UVPs? And why is it that you, you know, make your way through several different university websites, even across regions, right? Even within a region, and you go to those five, you know, four or five, six bullet points that they've got on their website where they talk about or eighteen or eighteen, <laughs> or where they talk about academic excellence and, you know, great student to faculty ratio, right? Why why is it so hard to talk about what makes us unique in higher ed? Well, I think first that we the way that higher education, especially in the United States, was formed, we weren't forced to establish a mission that was differentiating. And missions in, in a certain sector aren't always the most differentiating thing, but they usually have more distinctiveness than we've got in higher education. So we're starting from a position of some sameness. Second thing is that I think this is at the root of who are higher ed leaders. Academics aren't in the habit of differentiating, hmm. right? They yeah. emulate, it's yeah. in their bones. It, they aspire to be in the company of others that they, they copy uh, as a means of pursuing excellence. Who is it that we admire, we want to look like, and let's do what we can in terms of our strat strategy to emulate them. So as a result, in that environment, it takes real courage to stand out. And faculty will look sideways at any president who's recommending a strategy that's really going to choose a distinctive path. Hmm. So it's risky. It's literally risky. But that doesn't recognize, you know, all of that doesn't recognize the role that differentiation plays in a student's decision to invest tons of time and money in this very significant choice. And if we're not going to make it easy for them to figure out what's special about us, we're leaving that decision to chance yeah. or to pretty obvious differentiators that might not work in our favor, like who's got the best longest standing reputation or who's got the least expensive price. Hmm. We don't want our students to make decision based on those points usually. So it's, it's incumbent on us to figure out what is it about us that is special that we offer to certain types of students in the case of enrollment marketing that's going to make a compelling uh, choice for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's super interesting. And I also think that it's, it's just worth noting that outside of our industry too, I think that there's just been this development among brands to get really, really, really clear, like especially like I think of D2C brands, like the athletic greens of the world or, you know, any sort of, you know, food delivery, like a HelloFresh kind of, mm -hmm. uh, or a Blue Apron or whatever the heck it's called, where, <laughs> where they pride themselves on being so specific of like, this is who we are. This is what we do. 
this is how we're different from the other folks. Right. And here's why you, you'll love us. And it's almost to a point now where I feel like there's just a, a formula of like Instagram ad that I see like on repeat <laughs> where they, they've, they've figured out you've got to tell those, you've got to explain those four things mm-hmm. in 20 seconds. Yes. Uh, and if you can do that, right, then I understand how you're different from HelloFresh. Then I understand how you're different from another, you know, green juice. But if you can't do that in 20 seconds, it's it's just confusing. And I, and I don't think twice about it. And I think that, you know, th- that's just happening outside. That's just sort of like a, a consumer preferences trend that we're seeing. And I think as, you know, higher ed is typically a little bit slower to adopt things <laughs> from the rest of the industry, I think that this is an area we can just grow in. So I love that. I love that. And again, in the course, you go deep into uh, unique value proposition development and its importance, what it means to have a mission. There's some sprint exercises that you've thrown in to help people practice this like during the course. And I'm really, really excited to see what folks think about this. I have a couple final questions for you. One, one is around brand and marketing and how they, they often get conflated by leaders of organizations uh, and again I think this exists outside of higher ed but higher ed is certainly not immune from this confusion so how do you Terry Flannery draw distinctions between brand brand marketing and brand strategy yeah I think it's pretty simple so for me brand is the sum total of all experiences that someone has with your institution it exists in the in their minds exists in the mind of stakeholders it's not for us to control or manipulate. We can try to influence it, but we're talking about perceptions in people's heads. That's what a brand is. Brand marketing is the practice of trying to influence those perceptions through the development of a deliberate strategy that's thoughtfully constructed. And the brand strategy is a combination of elements that create a roadmap for you to get there. So Mm. it'll give you the direction. It'll give you the goals and measures. It'll give you the key aspects of your differentiated position brand experience and brand expression kind of all tied into this is our playbook if you will is there a um and i know i know the answer to this question but i'm going to ask it anyways like what what is the preferred process right do you have to develop a brand strategy before you can do you know brand marketing like what what is the crawl walk run approach here yeah i think it can be an overwhelming process. Um, If you haven't approached it deliberately in the first place, then you do need to think about it, not incrementally, but where should I start, right? So break it into pieces. The rock, crawl, walk, run. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Comes right from a Martin Luther King quote, that if you can't fly, run, run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. So thinking about where can I start possibly to begin to take a very big process one bite at a time. Yeah. I think the other expression is how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. (laughs) This is big and it can be intimidating. So you want to think about it in pieces. And you you might start with thinking about where are we right now? And what would I change if I had the capacity to do so? And where would I dig in? Hmm. It often starts with research, which I know we'll talk about um, in this series. What questions do you need to get answered in order to make better decisions about how how to use your marketing resources? And if you could take one step in that direction, what would it be? And who would you need to talk to to start thinking about developing the resources for that piece? That's the place to start. And then you can start putting the other pieces of the puzzle together. Terry, this is this is so great. And I know this is just scratching the surface. We are, you know, putting together the series to help promote this awesome master course that we've partnered on. And I if I remember correctly, we spent probably the most time working through 
brand strategy, brand marketing. I think that 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 chapter of the book is is just incredibly comprehensive because of how important it is. So folks listening in, again, we are just scratching the surface here. There's there's a lot more learning that Terry has taken an incredible amount of time to, to put together, to outline, to, to make engaging and fun. But Terry, what are a couple you know, two to three takeaways that you hope that those who are tuning into this conversation might might walk away with. Yeah, I hope that the messages from this podcast, from the course, from the book are all very empowering. They're designed to be empowering because we've come so far as a profession. But the first big takeaway is that marketing strategy is institutional strategy. Mm. You need to recognize that. Leaders need to recognize it. And it should be part of your mantra when you get up every morning. It should be part of your compelling errand when you get out of bed. Another takeaway is that a disciplined approach to brand strategy will build that value that we're talking about. There really is a discipline to this. We've described in the course kind of what that process looks like as you build it. If you stick to that discipline, you will not be disappointed in the results. And then maybe one last thing is that we've made a lot of progress in marketing as uh, it's matured in higher education, but we've got to exert more influence on the aspects of strategy beyond promotion. And if you're being relegated to that role, you need to think about how you can get your campus and your leadership to really understand the full value that marketing can bring. There you have it, folks, from the words of the woman who wrote How to Market a University. Terry, thank you so much. This has been a privilege and if you, again, if you're tuning in and you haven't already done so, you can head on over to enrollify.org forward slash master course. You can register and enroll in Terry's course. Terry, thank you so much for your time. 